Um, there. Now it's started. Now you should be able to. Now you should be able to get on. I'm actually live now. Just come down to show time. God, I hate this computer shit. You might have to refresh it. Yeah, you might have to refresh it or get go back to like oh, close okay. it out and go back on it because I just uh, right. I just went right, live. Yeah, hey, welcome to the show, sure. Mella. And uh, oh, there you go too. All right, I'm gonna I call. See. I'm gonna hang up and call Let's the doctor. Let's give you a cheer for. All right, we gotta turn the computer. Can you turn the computer one up? There we go. You want me to call in? Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna call the doctor right now. There you go. She's here. Bye. How am I? How's my you phone? sound great. You're on. Excellent. She's hung here. up. Yeah. Oh, I lost. She's on. Well, yeah, I think so. Hello. I was on. No, you're on. You're on. You got. You got to oh, turn I it am? up there, dude. I got to oh. be able to turn the music down. Hold on. We got to make a couple of little adjustments here. That's all. That's smooth right there, buddy. That's a Sunday beat right there. Turn the music down for a minute so I can call the doc. All right. I'm doing I can't hear that great I can't hear the great music. You can't hear the music? No. I love that music. Can't hear it. Hmm. We're just playing some. Michelle's here. All right, I'm gonna call the doctor. Oh, I know why, because it's right. coming from a different so he's live, so don't like ask his name or anything. All right, all right, yeah, yeah, we're good. We're gonna have to go YouTube here. Hello. Doctor. Hey. Yes, how are you? We are good on this, this Sunday. We're gonna get this show underway in just a few minutes. We're gonna get uh gonna have Tim and Dave do the introduction and And Doctor, right now right now everybody can hear you, so don't give any information. About yourself. Okay. The doctor is anonymous. Do you want me to, can I put it on speakerphone or is that not good? Yeah, you can put it on speakerphone. Okay. Can you hear that music, Claudia? I can't. I can't hear. Yeah. I, the only music I can hear is the music I make in my head. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to hear that sometime. No, you wouldn't. It's very, <laughs> it's, it's very, it's a, it's an orchestra of uh... insanity. All right. How is I this not? No, Michelle can't hear the music. No, either. music can't. E- no, she can't either. Maybe we're going to have to do it through. Uh... Cut the music then. Yeah. Oh, all right. Well, we don't have music. You know, a lot of people don't know that I studied voice classically for 30 years. Crazy, right? Something that else is, you didn't know about me. I didn't know that. I come from a family of musically inclined classical pianists. And if we didn't study music, my dad would lose his mind. No, no, don't do that. Hold on, hold on, hold on. That's high pitched. We're just yeah. going to get the. Uh, no, I, in there. I don't play. I, I studied saxophone, but I was, I am classically trained, but I'm a maybe singer. Maybe, maybe. It was never, um, I didn't have the dedication that my siblings had when it came to studying piano, but we can, we can bring it in with my siblings outro, would put in six soon. hours a day Swing. of practicing. Yeah, yeah, I know. I, I did a little bit of piano Let's as a kid, a but I, uh, I gave it up. <laughs> I and that was the first thing I purchased when I bought my house was a piano for my kids. They never, it, it collects dust. 
But when you come from a family of musicians, you want your kids to play, but oh, I hear the music. Yeah, we had a backup plan. It's not the music right. we had, but oh well. That's it'll okay. Do. It'll do. Yeah, that's interesting. So how many instruments do you play like piano and then what else do you play? No. No, no, I was I studied this alto saxophone, but I was the singer. Oh, I studied you voice. So, oh yeah, I, I could sing in five different no four different languages, and I competed all over the country. Um, but I've never I've not gone back to singing once. Oh yeah, I was that was it. That was my that was my shtick. Strictly oh. opera. I couldn't sing top any top forty pop nothing. But if you put Anything opera-related, German, French, Spanish, Italian. It was just one of those things yeah. that came easily to me. But, um, you know, when, when those singers, you know, speak multiple languages, do they actually know these languages or not really? No. I didn't know one word I was singing. <laughs> but you don't, you don't really I, know. I'm sure. Hey, uh, welcome, BJ. <laughs> got a lot of people entering the room right now. We have uh, quite a few. That's good. It's going to be a good show. Is it six? Do we do we, do we need to start now? Sure. We're at six o'clock. Yeah. Okay. We six might as well. We might as well get going. Okay. Perfect. That's awesome. That's Welcome to the Daily Attic Podcast. It's your boy Tim and your boy Dave, and you, as always, we are presenting. Um. Our partnership with Claudia Mirandi on these Sunday live episodes. Claudia, how you doing? I'm good. How are you guys? We're doing great. We're doing fantastic. You know, battling the COVID-19 hairdo. But other than that, I've discovered scissors and I've taken to my my hair and I've discovered the hot waxer. <laughs> you know, I look like I look like a bum. My hair is like four inches, five inches longer than I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do right now. Well, I took matters into my own hand because Claudia Mirandi is vain. And um, <laughs> hopefully my Botox doctor will be back in practice. My Botox, doc- my Botox guy is a psychiatrist, so he can still practice his psych gig, but he had to shut down his Botox uh, filler um, salon. So that's okay. Another few weeks. We're going to open up the state of Rhode Island slowly, and we're going to do it the right way. Uh, so hopefully we can flatten the proverbial curb, as they say it. Um, exactly. We got a comment hey here. You always I look good. It. You always Thank look you. good, says Deb. Thank Deb's you. like, Ooh. I agree with that. Thank you. Much appreciated. We're ready to get this this show rolling tonight. Let's get rocking. Let's get rocking and rolling. We're ready to do this. I, I just want to remind all of our listeners. Thanks for tuning in to uh, Podbean and doing this live event with us. Uh, it's been a very successful venture between uh, our podcast and the Don't Punish Pain uh, rally and the uh, Doctor Patient Forum. I want to make sure that I get all this information out to everybody. You can follow us on Twitter. Uh, we're at Daily Addict. And I think Claudia is at C. Mirandi. Is that your uh, Twitter handle? It um, is C. Mirandi. And make sure you go get the information. If you need to make, uh, if you need to contact Claudia, make sure to go to the doctorpatientforum.com. 
Again, that's drpatientforum.com. Um, all the information's there. You can contact her, uh, everything you really need to know, her team, an impressive team she's got together. And if you want to listen to our podcast, you can listen to it on any medium, iTunes, Stitcher, uh, Google, everything, YouTube. That's a good way to listen. That's a good way to spread the word. But we're available in our live show usually. So we're going to do the live show today. And then we will post it later this week, probably tomorrow or Tuesday. If you want to share it or if you want to read, you know, if you missed something, don't worry. It'll always be available after this online. It'll be there forever. And uh, make sure you support the cause. You know, visit our sites, give us some love, follow Claudia, follow myself, get active on Twitter. There's all kinds of stuff going down right now. And uh, I did like that link that you set out there, Claudia, for the CDC has their um, yeah, opinion. They're looking for comments. Yeah, they're looking yeah. for comments. I retweeted that out there. I read some of the comments. You guys are very active, you know, filling them out. I want to I want to flood that thing. I want thousands and thousands of th there should comments, be thousands. You know, there, there was be. Yeah. there was three hundred and eighty when I checked yeah. last or yeah, this week. But we need to have thousands. I mean, we need to blow it up. There's 40 million chronic pain patients let's get you know sky's the limit let's flood that thing but anyway i'll get a thousand with no further ado claudia please thank you thank you so about um a few months ago um a doctor contacted me and we have the doctor with us tonight this doctor uh i believe one of his patients was a don't punish pain rally uh member uh but we want to i'm going to keep this doctor anonymous because he has been subjected to uh, the DEA terror, the medical board madness, and we want to keep all of our prescribing doctors safe. So welcome to the show, doctor. Thank you. And uh, greetings from Wisconsin. We love Wisconsin. You know, that was the first case I advocated for was a person from um, Madison with Chiari, my very first advocacy gig. So um, we found each other. I'm glad we did. Now you're still, um, you're working in Wisconsin as a pain management physician, correct? That's correct, you're right. Yeah, I trained and, in uh, anesthesiology and then in pain medicine. So you're an anesthesiologist, like many pain management right. doctors right. are, and you've been practicing for how long? Mm, you know, more than 20 years. Okay, so you're... Um, you have a pretty large practice, from what I understand. Yes, yeah, we we, we had a we have a large practice. We still do, um, of course. You know the concerns uh, and and the I would say abuse by DEA and and uh, medical board and so forth. That that's cut into our practice, but uh, you know we're we're still seeing pain patients and uh, we're still prescribing uh, opioid uh, uh, medications for chronic pain. So tell me about your experience. Um, I'm sure everything was running smoothly, and then one day it happens to you. The DEA yeah. enters your life. Take, tell, take us through this right. experience. Yeah, I'm, I mean, I've been following this for a while, so it wasn't like totally unexpected because, you know, you see these cases. They're terrible. You see like uh, Dr. Henson in Kansas that uh, – he got, he got life in prison, then Joel Smithers, just about life, 40 years. I mean, so I've been following this for quite a while. And, you know, uh, I, I figured, like, well, it's probably going to happen eventually, you know. So 
one day, uh, about a little bit over a year ago, I was you know going to work, and uh, you know just got into my office, went in through the back door, and just getting settled. Then I saw a whole bunch of cars swarm in into the back parking lot of my uh, office. I was like, "What's going on there?" So I walked out in the back, and lo and behold, you know the DEA and the uh, FBI are there in their full regalia, you know, with their uh, bulletproof vests and their firearms and so on. And they uh, served me with a search warrant. <clears throat> so they just pretty much had the run of the place for about six hours. Um, you know, I didn't talk to them. I mean, you know, anybody that ever deals with these people, don't ever talk to them. <laughs> uh, and, you know, it, it, nothing has really happened to me. I'm still practicing and so forth. But, uh, you know, they, they're very intimidating. They want to get all the files they can, look at anything they want. I mean, I, they, they get everything. They can look at anything they want. And, uh, you know, then uh, the patients were coming in during the day, and they were coming up, the, the DEA agents were coming up to them with, uh, you know, automatic rifles and so forth. And, Do you want to talk to us? Do you want to and so, you know, pretty intimidating for the patients, and obviously – that's not something that uh, is, uh, is very conducive to, to running a practice and that doesn't give a patient the warm and fuzzy feeling that, uh, you know, this is a good place to go. So, you know, that does have a, it does have a, uh, an effect on, uh, on your practice. It was, it was difficult for me over the next couple of uh, months, really. Um, you know, I mean, they, it was hard to sleep at night. Um, you know, I, I had to really, uh, I mean, I, I really had to, 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 to lean on, my, you know, my wife and, you know, friends and things like that you know, to talk to my father. And I thank them all, you know, getting getting me through this, uh, you know, praying to God and, and also my patients. Some of them prayed for me. And, you know, I'm getting through, you know, get, getting through this over the first few months. And then, you know, I mean, you kind of get back to a, a new normal. So, uh I, you know, I still think that, you know, I basically do believe that what I was doing is, is good pain management. Uh, I've been doing this for quite a while. And uh, I believe that opioids are an, an integral part of pain medicine. And they're not for everybody. They're not maybe, they're not the first things that you give patients with pain or chronic pain. But they are a very important element of, of any kind of a pain management practice. And that's, that's really changing now. It's, it's really it's really sad to see the, the, the changes, and, and it's really unwarranted. These, these changes that are occurring, the, the, the philosophy behind these people that are anti-opioid crusaders is, is not based on any type of logic. It's not based on evidence. And, um, you, you know, you can, you can say, well, maybe they, they, they want to, to push other medications that are uh, more lucrative or something like that. I don't, I don't know. I really don't understand this, this whole uh, – this whole process, but you know, we're we're trying to cut up, and, and we're and it's really good to see. I'll say it is really good to see advocates, chronic pain patients, really educating themselves and stepping up to the plate. Um, they know a lot about what's going on, and so right. uh, you, you want to get into. I heard you. <laughs> yeah, it, it's you know when I when I came when I formed the Don't Punish Pain Rally, so many patients were lashing out at their doctors. We because there was right. so much misinformation and what a it's what a change and evolution over the past two and a half years now we have the patient and the provider fighting together and i don't think these hateful anti-opioid zealots ever took into account 
how effective advocates can be. But historically, activist advocates are the ones who effect change. So here you are, you're in your practice, you're not a criminal, you're treating pain and in comes cops, cops dressed in SWAT gear, terrorizing this poor doctor and the great state of Wisconsin terrorizes their patients and he has to go back to work. Doctor, what do you think triggered this investigation? Is it because you're a high prescriber? Yeah, I mean, and as a matter of fact, uh, the Wisconsin Medical Society actually came up with something. I was trying to find this this reference, but they they actually alerted us. They said something to the effect that, you know, the uh, medical board and so forth is going to tip their toe uh, into the uh, PDMP and look look at uh, who are the high prescribers and, and, and so on and so forth. So obviously we all know that medical boards and DEA work together. And, uh, you know, they, they're looking at PDMPs and they're looking to see like, well, let's see, let's troll through this guy. Well, he prescribed this much and, and these patients came from this far away and that's a red flag and over, the doses are over 90 MME and that's a red flag and none of that stuff is based on any type of outcome study to say that, well, if they're, if they're 51 miles away that they're going to be more likely to be a diverter or a drug addict or something like that. So. Um, it, it's just it's just a way that that uh, they, they can go after uh, pain management doctors. It's basically I, I think that they that what they need to do is, is change their motto, and their motto is uh, "Show me the man, and I'll find you the crime." You ever hear of that one? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. There's no, there's no. <laughs> Joseph Stalin and uh, uh, Laurentia Barra. Well, that's kind of what they do. They're looking for outliers. Okay. Yeah. And there might be some merit in looking for outliers, but um, that's not the intent of the of a uh, PDMP, the, the the drug monitoring program database. The, the intent mm-hmm. was supposed to be for doctors to use it so they would see that other doctors weren't giving opioid prescriptions or other controlled substances concurrently, and that's not what's being used for. It's being used as a as a law enforcement tool. Uh, it's been to, to go after pain management. There's and it's also invading the, you know, privacy rights of, of sure. pain patients. Yeah. This is, this it's is just a, it's an attack. It, it's been, the CDC guidelines have been weaponized. The PDMP has been weaponized. And we're running out of doctors. I know it was a difficult decision for you to make, but were you forced to bring all of your patients to that 90 morphine milligram equivalent threshold and below? Yeah. Well, I wasn't really forced to, but um, we did this over a very long process. We didn't take anybody off of the opioids. And, uh, you know, I, I can see the pros and the cons, but I, I saw, like, back in 2018, I saw all of these kinds of cases. Um, and one of the things that the DOJ always highlights, always, is how many pills were prescribed. What was the dose that was prescribed? Every single time in their charging decision. And they characterize this as, quote, on overprescribing. So anytime a dose is high, it's overprescribing. And then I can also tell you that one of the other doctors in my community who did actually prescribe very uh, much higher doses at, at the time, this was last year, he basically got a visit from the DEA as well. Uh, and I think this was about the same time. But his doses were higher, and he got shut down, or he let himself get shut down. And basically, he was, he was uh, fingered. Uh, by an, an anti-opioid crusader in our state 
basically they said to, to him, oh, you are a pill mill. And, and then the DEA went in there and they said, oh, your doses are quite high. We're going to shut you down to give, give us your DEA number and we'll go away. And he did. And, you know, now he's, he's this is terrible. Do you know what the guy's doing right now? He's working, working at, at a warehouse. Yeah. yeah. A, a warehouse. To... Yeah. yeah. This is terrible. Yeah. I, I don't, I can't believe that. But um, that was why I did that. Um, you know, and, and so it wasn't really, this wasn't based on a medical reasoning. It was based on uh, fear. It was based mm-hmm. on uh, the illegal realities of, the, uh, of, of my situation. You know, I, I mean, everything, look at every single charging decision or charging statement. It always says how many doses and they weigh the amount of milligrams that you prescribe, like, like a drug dealer, right? So oh, you mm-hmm. use this many milligrams and, and that means that we're going to uh, charge you with this many years and stuff like that. That, that That's uh, a big part of the reason. Yeah, and they equate it to the weight of the drug. Uh, we had um, Ron True. Chapman on the show uh, two weeks ago, and a lot of people don't realize that the number of pills is equated to, I think, the amount. The, Your sentence, the weight, yeah. The weight of the sentence is equi- is the, is given on how many pills were prescribed, and they uh, equate the pills to marijuana. And I think Joel Smithers ultimately was charged with uh, prescribing three football fields worth of marijuana. And it's just, yeah. it's just disgusting. It's just a blatant attack. You know, um, I, I know on Twitter, the UDT, the urine drug screen is super controversial. The pill count, the, um, the narcotic contract, uh, you know, when I was in pain management, I never had a problem with any of these. I was involved, um, my, you know, my ex is an anesthesiologist. I didn't have a problem with that at the time, but most people feel like their their civil rights they're violated. And I see it from, um, you know, um, my question for you is: Do you think the the urine drug screen has helped with diversion? Are all of these tools helping with diversion? Are they helping with diversion? Um- I, I think perhaps uh, but we don't have any really good outcome studies to show that urine drug tests improve, let's say, uh, reduce overdose deaths or improve outcomes like that. Those are re- those are the really important outcomes, I would think, really that the government should want uh, improved. Right? That you you should make that that sort of thing uh, the first priority. But um, urine drug tests uh, haven't been shown to, to uh, necessarily improve outcomes for the entire population. Now, what urine drug tests actually do do is they are they're a risk aversion, the risk management tool. So that sounds good. Okay. Well, but basically, what happens is when you do urine drug tests is that you you basically um, select out patients that are high risk. If they test, you know, bad, have a bad test. If the test is unexpected negative, or there's some substance like cocaine. So. What happens is then we just say, okay, well, we, we can't give you opioids anymore. You can take Suboxone or you can go to a methadone clinic or something like that. But um, what, what happens is you're just selecting out, you know, high-risk patients. So sort of like if I was an oncologist and I said, well, I'm not going to take all the stage four cancer patients. I'm going to exclude them from my practice, but I'm going to keep the, 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 the patients that are going to have a better outcome. Then I'll have a better outcome. So that's what's happened to a lot of pain management practices. It's just basically – Risk aversion, okay, you tested bad, you can go somewhere else. And, and the problem is they don't. They don't go to the, the methadone clinic. They don't take Suboxone. 
And you know where they go? You know where they go. They go to the street. The streets. That's they go. Right. They go. They commit suicide, or they just suffer. So this is what happens, and this is this is bad policy because this is not harm reduction. This is just a policy that's uh, more concerned with uh, parameters that that don't really uh, help people. Okay. So, you know, I mean, even if you can, let's say you do reduce diversion, and you, you can. Uh, I think in Florida, they, they, they were some studies that uh, when they shut down pill mills, that they did reduce a lot of diversion when they created these PDMPs and uh, contracts and so on. But the overdoses didn't go down anyway. Because, you know, where they went, they they just went to the street anyway. So you're not really, you're just kicking people out of the system, out of, the, out of being monitored, out of being, you know, advised medically and work, you know, trying to work with people. They just go and do what they want to do, uh, which isn't always good. When we're fueling the addiction, the opioid crisis, we're, we're helping fuel people um, overdose. We're helping people. We're assisting them. They're hitting the streets now. Dave, I know you wanted to say something. I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, I wasn't saying anything. Oh, no, that's oh. fine. I, I just had oh. a question. I just had a question. I was question. hearing voices. <laughs> that was your singing. <laughs> you are singing in your head again. <laughs> I uh, No, I was. It, it's interesting because this, uh, this Claudia, you know, or you, you both may know, but the history of this thing started with the original CDC guidelines that came out. And the DEA and the DOJ and these attorneys and the, all the all the you know three letter agencies kind of took it upon themselves to enforce these guidelines as as they saw fit. Is that is that what I understand? Where this thing really started, Doctor? Did the yeah, I think it, where did, that's where it got off. Oh, you want to answer that, Claudia? No, no, I want you to answer that. Okay, that's where I think it got much worse. Okay. Um, because the, the, these agencies have always been monitoring us, you know, um, and uh, it is kind of uh, unusual that uh, we have a, a police agency that's uh, basically making medical determinations. But um, they stepped it up quite a bit, and, it, and it's unclear exactly when. It probably sometime around 16, and then certainly around 17 when the session surge began, and that's when it really began. And they, what they did, uh, the DEA and DOJ, they, they basically used these, the CDC guidelines as de facto laws. Okay. Oh, you're over at, at 90 MME. That's got to be over prescribing. Okay. So they, they did some of that and they did a lot of that. And, uh, you, you know, it's in the beginning, you know, they, they shut down pill mills and they were real pill mills. Sure. They were in Florida predominantly. Their photo was very uh, common. And those things were shut down in the early 2000s and maybe up to 2010 or something in that range. And there was, of course, practices like that. But now they, they sort of got all of their low-hanging fruit and they got to get rid of now the, the legitimate same management practices. And I think that's when it started sometime around then. And, and to say that it's very it's difficult to say, well, why this really started. I'm not really exactly certain. Some people say, Trump started it uh, because his, his brother had an alcohol problem. I don't know why. But um, one of the things you have to take in consideration is that, that uh, the DOJ, DEA, DOJ, and these federal uh, police organizations uh, that are under the DOJ, they're fairly independent. Okay, so they can, they, they, it's very difficult to, to, to really, um, to really, you know, check them to oversight and so forth. And so they, they kind of have their own, um, free reign and they, they, they run their own show. And even when the, 
administrations change hands and, and things like that, um, they, they can they can run fairly independently. And, um, you know, just like any other independent organization that is unchecked, those organizations eventually, you know, try to get more power. And that's what they're trying to continually appropriate power. And one of the best, one of the best or worst ways they appropriate power is, is a real misinterpretation of the Controlled Substance Act. Uh, and what they what they try to do, the DEA, you know, and the DOJ do is they, they want to say that your practice is not legitimate, does not have a legitimate purpose. OK. And so we, we think that you're prescribing a patient that, that shouldn't really get opioid medications. It's not legitimate. And so how they accomplish that is they use um, their own biased experts basically to, to get the answer that they want and say, hey, this guy is not. A legitimate doctor, he's, he's prescribing opioids. Therefore, he's really drug dealing or something like that. And, and this is this is just this is terrible. I, you know, they they basically uh, perverted this this uh, controlled substance yeah. act. And they can find these types of uh, these types of bias experts. As a matter of fact, in our state, we have one uh, notable uh, bias expert, and and uh, and uh, everybody in Wisconsin would know who he is. I'm not going to say his name, but uh, it's it's pretty easy to figure that out. Anyway, he he's uh, he goes around and he does expert witnesses. Okay, uh, right. as an expert like witness, Stacey Hale. Also, Stacey well, Hale, like one. that the person. Right? This is a man, but you know, this is this is sure. Wisconsin's uh, uh, yeah. uh, Andrew Claudney or whatever you want to yeah. say. Yeah. And he goes Absolutely. around and does that. He does CME courses, so he educates other doctors. He gives uh, mm-hmm. interviews. To news stations and newspapers and so forth. So he's got a, he's got a good track record there to look at. And he says that opioids should not be given after two months. Okay, mm-hmm. and that's it. After two months of the onset of a, an injury or a surgery or something, and then after uh, maybe for you know on your deathbed, and that's about it. And, and if that's the kind of expert that people at the medical board are going to use, right, or people at the DEA and DOJ are going to use, and they're saying like, well. You're giving opioids. We don't think that's a good idea. If that's going to be the uh, the standard of care they create, they can basically say, "Well, that's below the standard of care. Therefore, mm-hmm. you're illegitimate." And so, these kinds of people really need to be neutralized. Mm. Absolutely. And we we just you know when we talked with Ron about this, I'm like, why don't we have a bank of expert witnesses that can go head to head with the DOJ's expert witnesses because they have the mm-hmm. they just regurgitate their witnesses. Doctor, I want to ask you: um, Have your patients have had diff- have they had difficulty when going to the pharmacies to get their scripts filled? Yes, very often, and um, a, a whole plethora of excuses are used. You know, sometimes they'll say they're out of medication. And, you know, who's to say, who, who knows? How, how do you know if they're not? Okay, sometimes they say, I don't like this doctor. I don't want to fill his prescription. Okay, that's another one. Then they'll say, I'm uncomfortable with this prescription, you know? Or they'll say something like, what's your plan to take the patient off of opioids? So we, we get all, all these kinds of things. Uh, and and uh, I can tell you that these, these, these pharmacists, they never call me. Or, you know, as far as I know, other doctors and say they're not they're going to decline a prescription. So then the patient has to go from, you know, pharmacy to pharmacy and so forth. And that doesn't look good. And then, uh, you know, and, and if you're in a rural area, like in northern Wisconsin or something like that, you know, you might have to drive 50 miles or something like that. And uh, 
Um, in the wintertime, it's going to get dark out or something. So that, and that, that's not and your pharmacist. And the pharmacist doesn't want to fill it because you you right. are 50 miles. You know, a pharmacist will say, oh, my gosh, well, you're over, you're 75 well, you know, miles you know, I've, I've had a couple of, uh, Yeah, but I've had a couple of patients, and then they're proactive. And I told them, so, well, look, what do you do? Well, I had one patient. Uh, she, she, she got turned down and then she ran back to her car and uh, she had some information on making a complaint to the American Disability Act and also to the pharmacy board. Then they filled hers. Mm-hmm. And then I had another one. This is a good one. She, she was, went through the whole thing and, uh, then they wouldn't fill her, uh, her prescription because uh, they didn't like the doctor or something like that. And, and so, uh, you know, then she said, Hey, by the way, I got you all on, re- on recording and I'm going to make a, I'm going to file a lawsuit. And she told me. <laughs> She said that, uh, that that she was offered five hundred dollars to 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 rip up the recording. So it's just it's just pretty funny to, to see uh, to see what goes on. But they don't have a leg to stand on pharmacists when they do that kind of thing. Right. And just for the listeners and for whoever is going to listen to this now, whenever, uh, if you if this has happened to you, uh, thankfully Dr. Feldman uh, persevered, and we have attorneys who have. Uh, the lawsuit is taking form. And if you want to be a part of, a, of an action against these large chain pharmacies, we have it. We've delivered like we've been working on this for a year and several lawyers. I think there's four or five law firms who have come together and it, the list will build and build. And we are now moving forward with the lawsuit against large chain pharmacies. And I really believe that this lawsuit will put the plight of the pain patient on the map, bring awareness to what... Um, doctors, the hell that doctors are being put through. And I think we live in a litigious country and the only sometimes our country only responds to um, litigation. So if you want to be a part of that lawsuit, uh, visit Don't Punish Pain Rally. You can find it on my personal page on that national Facebook page. It's just the first of many lawsuits. Now, a lot of discussion surrounding buprenorphine doctor what are your mm-hmm. thoughts about the effectiveness of treating a pain patient with whether it's um, uh, Belbuca, which isn't indi- which is indicated for pain? What are your thoughts about Bup? Well, I think that uh, generally speaking, you know, the way that the, the buprenorphine works is it's a partial agonist of the mu receptor. Well, that that just means that it does bind to the same receptor as morphine and oxycodone, but it doesn't bind the same way, partially. So it doesn't have, most patients have, have as good of an analgesic effect. So that's the downside uh, as an analgesic. Right, we're going to say this in English. Has, well, let's, let's, let's just take that and break that down in, in, in layperson's terms, because you mentioned a partial agonist for okay. the lay people. So it doesn't, it, okay, you can say that it doesn't really... Um, it doesn't bind to the agonist, uh, to the, the receptor as, as tightly, okay? So it doesn't it really have the same kind of effect as morphine or oxycodone or the other uh, conventional um, narcotics that, or opioids that, that people use. So it doesn't work the same way and doesn't usually give as much analgesia or pain relief, okay? Pain relief. Um, so that's one of the, the, the downsides uh, to it. And um, just like any other drug, you know, I mean, some drugs work well in some people and some don't work so well in others and don't produce a beneficial effect. The, the advantages of that drug uh, is that it does have a ceiling, so you, you can't continually get more 
pain relief with it, um, which may be a disadvantage or advantage, but it's harder, it, it generally speaking, and not saying you can't, but it's harder to overdose on those drugs. Mm-hmm. And um, when you have it combined with, with Narcan or Naloxone, uh, basically it, it, it blocks the other opioids, also making it harder to overdose. So, um, it, I, you know, I, I don't think, I think it's like anything else. It, it, it can be used for anal, uh, analgesia or pain reduction, uh, or it can be used in, in uh, patients that have a high risk for, for overdose or for addiction or abuse in that kind of population. And uh, it's, it, it's one thing that can be used. But one of the problems we have is that once a patient has a bad lab, a urine drug test, or there's some other indicator that there could be diversion or something like that, the, the regular opioids become very difficult to justify by the pain doctor because of the board. The boards have actually, if you look at the Wisconsin guidelines, they'll say if there's any evidence of addiction or diversion, uh, then they call specifically, and I think this is really wrong, they call for immediate discontinuation of opioids. Immediate. You know, that's cold turkey. I, I think that's, that's irresponsible irrespons- for any, uh, pretty much any patient. They only exclude, only if you have uh, angina, okay? But if you do that cold turkey to patients, we know there's good studies to show that, you know, people have a higher incidence of suicide and also uh, MI, heart attacks, and so on. But that's not really uh, good good management of, of patients, and, and, and that, that has to be changed. I've, I've been trying to alert the, the people in Wisconsin, the chronic pain patients, that they really need to look at this, this guideline. That, that really needs to be um, that needs to be eliminated. Where can they find that guideline was created by the Wisconsin De- Department of Health? Wisconsin Department of Professional Services, DSPS. And, uh, you know, you can look at it. It's under dsps.gov. Or you can just, if you just Google Wisconsin guidelines, it's in there. Okay. So are we now, so you're telling me if a patient um, is on a traditional opioid or suboxone, is that what we're, are we discussing? Is this um, for suboxone only? So if you, if you're giving a patient suboxone for pain and they have, um, I don't like to use that term, dirty tox screen, I find that degrading, but if um, there's evidence of say another drug in their system, you are to cut that patient off cold Turkey. Even if it's weed. Yeah, no, we're using, let's say for example, we're using a regular opioid, let's say it's oxycodone. And then mm-hmm. we see there's cocaine on there. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, the way the wording is, it says if there's evidence of addiction or diversion, mm-hmm. then that patient is to be immediately discontinued of, of the opioid. And, and there's so, the so much error. Is, what, yeah, well, here's the, here's the question. There's many questions here. But here's what I have. Well, what constitutes evidence? You know, you could have, that, that might be flimsy evidence, right? So you could have someone even call up and say, hey, uh, Miss, Miss, Mrs. Smith is, is uh, selling her drugs, okay? Is that is that constitute evidence? Well, technically, it's evidence. It's, it's pretty crummy evidence, but um, according to these guidelines, if that's evidence. So they really need to clarify this and make it um, safer for the patient because that, that I don't think, is, is, is good evidence. And I think if, uh, if someone tests positive for cocaine, even on a, like a mass spectroscopy, which is the, the, the gold standard confirmatory test, um, mm-hmm. 
you know, you could say that, well, is that person addicted to cocaine? I don't know. Maybe, maybe not, but that has to be really clarified because this, this will basically mean that, that, uh, um, I think some people will be discontinued from opioids precipitously and which is dangerous. And also other people will be uh, discontinued from opioids, uh, which, which had given them a benefit and, and maybe they should have given, been given a second chance or something like that. So, there's all sorts of unknowns that we have to deal with as a pain management physician. And, and we don't know how the, the board or uh, other people would, would interpret this. How would, how would an anti, how do you think an anti-opioid crusader would, would interpret sure. that? that uh, Absolutely. They would interpret it the most uh, stringent way possible against Absolutely. The, the pain management provider. Right. And, you know, UDTs, I would imagine, urine drug screens are prone to error. These yeah. aren't, yeah, and and not only are they prone to error, they are, and, and I think what you have to, but what you, it's important to clarify which types of tests. If you're talking about right. the um, qualitative tests, those have a high, uh, you, know, you know, high frequency of errors. If you're talking about the mass spectroscopy, most of the errors are probably going to be due to um, custody of the sample or mixing up mm-hmm. samples and those kinds of Sure. So, and and uh, we, we don't know exactly how much that could, could be because there's really no good way of, of really monitoring that at a laboratory. I mean, uh, how are we going to find out if they – so that you, can, you can sign for the, the sample and, and the patient can sign and countersign, but once it gets back into the lab, how do you know things uh, are, are being – And it gets on a plane. Handled. A lot of – Sure. It's handling error. A yeah. lot of urine samples get put on a plane, flown to Minnesota from Massachusetts. What happens? Um, I had I did advocate for um, a, a woman, and she failed her urine screen, and we had to go. To, I had to go to the pain management center, sit down. I said, "Take me through the process." Um, she she gives you the specimen. We put the lid on it. It get now then what happens? Oh, and then we send it off. How did who picked up this urine screen? Whose hands was it in? What what type of plane was it on? Did it go from the plane into the lab? So many hands have touched that screen. How could a urine screen not be prone to error? Do you conduct your UDTs in your office or are they sent out? No, we, we actually yeah, we send the patients to a laboratory, and they they take the specimen, and then they do the uh, mass spectroscopy and the and immunoassay. If they do that, I don't think they just do most of the mass spectroscopy at their site. Okay, and I find so, some um, doctors tell me, um, doctor, before I lose this train of thought, it seems like doctors are damned if they do, damned if they don't. If they perform too many urine screens. They could be charged with overusing Medicare services if they don't conduct enough urine drug screens. Then that could also be used against them. So what started off as a good tool has now become a weapon against doctors. Right. Uh, and it, right. You yeah. Know, I, yeah. It has. Uh, it has. Uh, and I think that if, if the urine drug tests are used by the by the physician. Um, at their discretion, based on their training and expertise, I think that's fine. But once we get to the point of mandating monthly urine drug tests, that's that's a problem because you know what will happen is that the, the, just the fact that they're getting these 
tests continually increases the, the probability that the patient's going to test uh, positive for something or have a bad test. So, sure. and that might have nothing to do with the, with the patient's behavior. And so that, that, that's, that's a big problem. Um, and, you know, I think that, that if we, if, we're, if we really want to, to preserve patient doctor autonomy and privacy and so forth, we have to let the patients and doctors decide on what, what to do. Um, every time we, we interject government into this, it, it becomes very complex. The rules have to be revised and the rules uh, have unintended consequences. Just like I was talking to you about this Wisconsin guideline, uh, it can have unintended and dangerous consequences because they're not there. The government isn't there uh, talking to the patient. And, and so they're looking at everything in hindsight. And it, it's, uh, I think it's a very, uh, it's a very uh, problematic uh, practice. And where do the insurance companies come into play? A lot of people tell me that insurance companies are uh, profiting off of uh, the pain patient suffering, the interference with the doctors. I, I'm not well versed in insurance. I'm still learning my way around it. But what role um, I know a lot of doctors don't accept Medicare, Medicaid, because of the stringent guidelines attached. Um, I, I think you do accept Medicare, Medicaid, all insurances, but what role are the insurance carriers playing in all of this? If well, the, the insurance carriers have an incentive. Now, now that opioids are, are, have been branded as dangerous drugs, the insurance companies say, well, geez, you now we don't have to pay for those. So I would think that they have an incentive, you know, to to um, to reject claims uh, from from uh, you know, and say that well, we don't want you to take these drugs, and we don't want uh, to pay for them, and so on. So that's a that's a big part of it. Um, the insurance companies are, are, I think, have have a vested interest in basically abandoning pain patients because pain is a very common complaint. It's like the number one you know complaint in many many studies. And, um, and if it becomes chronic pain and, and the patient isn't, you know, in, in jeopardy of, of dying immediately, well, you know, I mean, the insurance companies can just say, well, there's this treatment's no good, this treatment's no good, this treatment's no good. Well, just live with it. And um, they can save money that way. So th this is what I, I think insurance companies are up to. So um, let's talk about antidepressants injections in the use of your practice in conjunction with um, opioid therapy. Uh, what it, what's your take on injections? Because you are an anesthesiologist and that's what anesthesiologists will most do for the listeners who aren't familiar with the role of an anesthesiologist. But most pain management doctors are anesthesia people. Tell me about injections and how effective are they? And are you still doing them as frequently as you used to do them? Yeah, we, I don't do them as frequently, but I think injections definitely have a role. Um, they, they have a role in, in, in reducing pain, and they, they can be used as adjuncts. And I, I look at them mostly as adjuncts in chronic pain patients uh, for, you know, long-term treatment. But they don't, they don't need to be mandatory adjuncts, okay? They are elective adjuncts. So mandatory, derive, Mandatory. Uh, you don't, you, you don't hold the patient hostage. Thank okay. you. That's okay. what that's what we won't give you drugs. Yeah, we, we, no, we don't. We don't. We know that's not a, that's not uh, ethical. So, but mm -hmm. you, 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 they're not mandatory. Uh, yeah, we'll, we won't give you any opioids unless you, uh, um, you know, do this injection. You know, that, that's not it. I mean, you, you can give the patient a recommendation. 
based on their MRI scan and their clinical findings and so on. And if they qualify for uh, an injection, if they have insurance coverage for it, then uh, you give them that as an option. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the, the advantage, obviously, is that the injections don't involve an opioid, so there's less likely that there's a side effect from any kind of opioid use. So it has an advantage. And uh, mm-hmm. some people, they, they don't want opioids, and they'd rather have injections. And so that happens, too. So that, it's sort of like Suboxone or like uh, buprenorphine. If, if, they, if it works better for them, well, mm-hmm. why shouldn't that be uh, a viable alternative? So that's how any kind of um, modality should be, should be used. If it works, then you use it. If it doesn't work, well, you have to use something else. But, you know, I, I think that, that patients that have, that, that start out with like a sciatica and they have a disc herniation, yeah, they're a good candidate and that they should try an injection unless there's a contraindication. And uh, that's, that's pretty much the standard of care. Um, doesn't it's mean they're forced to try that, but right. it is a tool, right? It's a, t- but you it's have a to tool in your toolbox. Now that with the guidelines, it's a tool in the toolbox, right? But you do understand that with the guidelines in place, the guidelines say that, and especially in our state, that you have had to have tried, not necessarily injections, but you have to have tried these other treatments, like they want people to try anti-inflammatories and physical therapy and, um, mm-hmm. you know, some, some other things before uh, going on opioid medication. Right. That's, you know, as that's a pretty per- much in the guidelines. And I've got to, tell, you know, as a somebody, I, I've seen my name be being thrown around on the Aaron Brockovich of opioids. I'm really not. I'm a person who has, um, you know, I go to physical therapy twice a week. I give myself methotrexate injections weekly. I get Remicade injections every five weeks. I remember when it was every nine weeks. I had a colostomy bag. I had it reversed. I had most of my intestines removed. And for me, at the end of the day, a small daily dose of opioids changed my life. And I exhausted every option. The problem now, uh, the cases that we get handed to us are the people with Guillain-Barre. For the listeners, uh, you could get a flu vaccination and then you you have Guillain-Barre, this horrible neurological painful disease um, or people with Chiari malformation, um, their, 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 their stem from their brain, I believe it is, is it's dipping into their spinal column. Uh, these horrible, painful illnesses where nothing is going to work. They've exhausted all of these options and they're only left with opioids and now they can't get opioids at all. But here we have, Tim and Dave, here we have this great doctor from Wisconsin. He's doing everything he can. And I can only imagine after the PDMP is checked, after the, um, the paper, the extra 40 pages of paperwork that's filled out per patient for the urine drug screen, the, the pill count, the, the contract, you must be doctor, you must be exhausted emotionally, physically, at the end of the day, and you're probably wondering in the back of your head, oh my God, when is the DEA? Is the DEA going to come back in here? My question for you is why do you continue to practice pain management? No, I'm, I'm, I'm not super old. Right? So I still have to, I have to you know, pay a mortgage and, and so on and, and uh, that kind of a thing. So um, 
you know, I, I, I need to make a living like, like anybody mm-hmm. else. Um, and, uh, but you know, I'll tell you one thing. Um, uh, and we, and we had been doing all of these kinds of things like the, the contract for, for quite a while, but I, I'll tell you one thing now that this has kind of gotten right, it, it right into my face, mm-hmm. you know, I kind of feel energized in a way because, Absolutely. Now I feel, you know, I have a mission. Yeah. I, feel, yeah. I, have, I have a mission here. It's not just about doing your job and these are the patients you take care of and stuff. I have a mission. I, I, I need to really fight against these right. people. Mm-hmm. They're not, not in a, in a metaphorical yeah. way, of course. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and I, I need to stand up for, for my patients' rights and, and my own. And uh, I don't want to be bullied. And, Where's the uh, applause? The we need the applause. <laughs> we need the applause, Tim and Dave. I want the applause for this doctor. We need the applause. That's what we need. This doctor is fighting people. He's fighting for what's right. Um, because I would imagine before this happened to you, everything was status quo. And once you got involved... You've got the vim and vigor, and we're going to get the cop out of your office because guess what? That cop didn't go to medical school. You did. You know, you could always go back. Couldn't you just be a regular anesthesiologist in an operating room? But no, you're here. You're, you're fighting for your patients. And for that, we salute you. We thank you. We admire you. So it's just, it's so refreshing because a lot of the anesthesiologists I get on the phone, I'm not impressed with a whole lot of them. I've got to be honest with you. But this doctor, he remains vigilant to the cause. So, um, okay, so we've discussed the insurance companies. We've discussed Suboxone, the urine drug screen. I know Tim and Dave have a question for you, and that's about marijuana weed. Can your patients, is that allowed in your pain contract? Well, right now, no, it isn't. And then um, the couple of things is that it's, our state is illegal. Okay, so um, even medical, I, I haven't uh, met medical marijuana is illegal. Any mm-hmm. recreational, all of it. Um, they, they'll use those um, uh, cannabis oil is legal in our state, and some of those gummy bears and things with cannabis in it. But um, medical marijuana isn't. You mean um, so, CBD? Uh, I, CBD? I, I, I don't. I don't. Go ahead. Are you talking about CBD, doctor? CBD, CBD oil yeah, CBD, oil. yeah, hemp oil or CBD oil or. Right, that's fine. And um, the the one problem that we have though with that is that if they test positive and for THC, if I follow the guidelines, yeah, that that could become an issue. We usually tell them, well, you need to you need to refrain from that. Um, but you know when when you do the urine drug test. I, I, um, and, and so, because we can't really differentiate between a positive test that could come from CBD oil or something else versus a, a positive test from uh, regular marijuana. That's the problem we have. And the, and the thing is, if you combine marijuana and an opioid, it's, it's not going to be a, usually an overdose risk, but it could be a risk for accidents. And there have been cases uh, against physicians uh, on that uh, basis. So uh, we, we're, we're not real, I, I wish it didn't have to be like kind of this, you know, we have, we actually run into the same kind of thing uh, when you combine benzodiazepines and opioids, there is a higher risk of uh, uh, for patients with those two drugs and it can be a problem, but um, <clears throat> this is, this is where we're at. We're, we're heavily scrutinized and, and they really, really want to, to find something uh, wrong <laughs> wherever they can. Yeah. 
They just so, want their they want their dirty, grimy hands and everything is what is exactly. Yeah, what they I, want. I, I know. I know the guy. <laughs> I'll tell you, this is an interesting story. He he got bugged. Uh, another he was a uh, a physician and um, he had a radiology practice, but he also did some opioid management about ten years ago. And uh, he got busted for he uh, prescribing fentanyl to some of his patients, and they didn't like the way he did it. But um, when he got out, they made him do uh, drug tests and so forth. And he was saying that when when and he had to go the front of the board, and, and he was uh, they were they said, did you pass your drug test? And they said yes. And 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 the guy um, facing him, a board person. Uh, was was all eager to hear that he, he flunked his drug test, and then when he said he passed it, he, he was crestfallen and he, he disappointed. So this is the kind of gotcha kind of attitude that that these people have. It's it's really disconcerting it's disgusting. That, that they that they it's disgusting. It is, isn't it? And that's what it's, he told us. Why, why wouldn't they be happy that you're complying and that you know you're not showing any uh, signs of uh, drug abuse or something or whatever? But uh, and, no, they're, they're more interested in saying, look, oh, we got this guy. Oh, good. <laughs> right, right. It's and, just, um, it's more vile, disgusting behavior. You know, doctor, what we have to touch upon, because this is a huge issue, we don't know if people are really overdosing on opioids because there's right. so much, right? So let's, let's, uh, some of my doctors, um, uh, two of their, pay, you know, Dr. Smithers, I think they try to uh, throw them, you know, add two overdoses or three overdoses. And I said, well, let's see the autopsy. Let's scrutinize everything that was in this person's system. If they had a heart attack, but they were prescribed an opioid, why is this going down as an opioid overdose? What's your take on um, the overdosing and the effect and, and how solid are these toxicology reports being done by the medical examiners? Yeah, this is a big, big issue. There's a lot to discuss on this, but these death determinations, overdose death determinations are, are, are very, uh, are very problematic. Uh, there's no question. And, and the CDC uh, data that they, that they derive from these, you know, Coroner's reports, they're, they're based on bad coroner's reports, incomplete, incomplete, very incomplete. A lot of times they weren't testing for fentanyl. That's a big, big thing. No fentanyl tests, no fentanyl analog tests. And, you know, there's, there's uh, 22 common fentanyl analogs. There's a, about 100 fentanyl analogs. And they're just modifications of the fentanyl molecule. These are all, just about all, illicitly manufactured fentanyl. And these things aren't being tested. And there's a big case in Wisconsin here. They didn't test for fentanyl analogs. And, so, and most of these, these overdose deaths are polysubstance deaths. In New York, right, they, let's they talk, had actually let, what, a, let, I'm going to back, back up just a minute. Let's talk for the, for the lay people once again. Let's talk about fentanyl analog because we hear this person's overdosing yeah. from fentanyl. Yeah. So, you know, when people think of fentanyl, the old people, they think of a fentanyl patch. And then as when you're in surgery, you're given fentanyl to be put to sleep for a procedure. Um, let's, what is a fentanyl analog? Yeah, it's just that basically you take the, uh, the fentanyl molecule and you could add something. Like you could add um, a different, um, like a methyl group. That just means you're adding a little bit of a carbohydrate, uh, hydrogen group, okay, to that molecule. Okay, so think of it like a Lego set, right? You, you have your Lego, or not your Legos, what is it, T Tinker Toys or whatever. But they have little, they have little, you have little uh, 
um, sticks, and then you add the sticks that going stick to the little. Yes. Uh, Okay, you get that? Okay. So what you do is you're adding another stick and another uh, circle or whatever that is. Uh, you're adding that to the molecule. So you make a different molecule, okay? And one of the most common is carfentanil. That's used actually in vet- veterinary, mm-hmm. I believe. Mm-hmm. They're very, very... Uh, elephant, potent, elephant tranquilizer. Drug, right. So what, what the drug dealers and drug cartels do is they just keep modifying these fentanyls and they can get a new drug. So technically they're, they're not considered a controlled substance or... You know, they're trying to deal with that, uh, you know, uh, politically. But they they keep modifying these drugs so that they can, you're playing whack-a-mole into into trying to figure out, well, was that one in there or not? And uh, Mm -hmm. they're very good at it. So this is what's in there now. It's it's very potent. It's very concentrated, so it's easy to conceal. So it's getting into the United States, and uh, it can be made, you know, who, who knows where, everywhere. It's, but that that the fentanyl thing really came about in the like the 2012-13 time um, frame, and then you you saw a big increase of fentanyl seizures there, at least in New York City. And then the New York City, a couple of years later, up until 2017, you had like a 57 percent increase in fentanyl involved in the uh, overdose deaths on the tox screens. So it became a big issue, and this is this is why all of the uh, overdoses were really uh, uh, really ramped up because of this illicit fentanyl. This is what's the problem. It's not the fentanyl patch. It's not the oxycodone or the morphine. It's this illicit fentanyl. And and I think most people kind of know that, but you still have this branding that was done about prescription opioids, and that prop still pushes all that kind of stuff. Prescription mm-hmm. opioids are, are, are really a, a very seldom the, the, the primary cause of, of any of these opioid overdose right. overdose deaths. They're usually oh. these multi multiple substances like alcohol, benzos, mm-hmm. plus illicit fentanyl, and then and then you then you can uh, you put in cocaine or something like that. Then you have comorbidity. So somebody could have uh, heart disease or pneumonias, and they have all these different factors that could cause this person's death. But what do they do? Well, of all these factors, who's to blame? The doctor. Right. So mm-hmm. it's, it's insane because the person could have died. Of, and we have this case in Wisconsin. This patient was 67. He had bronchopneumonia. He had a pleural abscess, which means he's had pus on the side of his lung. His heart was enlarged. OK. He also had a fatty liver. He was drinking alcohol at the time of his death, according to the, the reports by his family. He had open bottles of whiskey and Corona. OK. He had all this. They didn't even check a blood alcohol level, unbelievably, and and they never checked fentanyl. They did check the opioid levels. He had some oxycodone morphine in there. So what's the cause of death? Well, the patient had an oxycodone and morphine prescription. Therefore, the provider is the cause of death. I mean, I've never seen anything so absurd. Uh, but you have like about five or six things there that could have caused his death. But what do we do? They pick the one thing they could, that they can finger the the, right. the prescriber. I just I, I just yeah. don't get that. Well, I mean, yeah. our government yeah. can't get their hands on the illicit fentanyl, so they go after what they can get their hands on. You know, there's That's I right. don't it's, know how people. It's an easier uh, target. That they, you know, I interviewed Josh Bloom in the past, and he said they picked on the weakest, most vulnerable group of people, and it's. 
it's it's just it's so insanely disgusting to target sick people who need medication and to target the doctors who are treating them. Um, and there's 40 million. So how can patients help doctor? What, what can patients do in your state of Wisconsin? Right. Yeah. Well, I think they're doing a lot. First, what they did is they got educated and, and they're, and they're, they know the articles. They, they know things better than a lot of doctors, but now they have to know what is the political environment in each state, okay? So they have to figure that out. And, and, and this, is a political, this is a political campaign, a war. Mm-hmm. So there, there's two political arms here. There's one arm if you're trying to do the positive things, like let's introduce legislation to protect pain doctors and their patients and, um, and prevent, let's say, the DEA from, from, from terrorizing them. And, and I know you're doing a, that great work in, uh, in Rhode Island, Claudia. So we, we would add the, the second arm is also, and this is with every political campaign, everybody knows this, what's the second arm? It's opposition research. And, and it, it's ethical opposition research. So you have to find out who are the people that are the anti-opioid zealots and crusaders, okay? Who are the people that are testifying as experts against pain doctors? Who are the people that were involved in creating these bad guidelines that I've just, you know, mentioned earlier? Who are these people? Um, what, do, what did they say? Did they give interviews? Okay, so find out if they did. Okay, did they, what have they done? Okay, what is their background? And then, I'll tell you what, since I think we should, we should use the motto of the uh, Justice Department, their motto is, show me the man and I'll find you the crime. Well, we do the same. So you, you, look, at, you look at these people and say, this is what they said, this is ridiculous. Um, and, and you can make, you can use that as a basis for a complaint at the medical board or if they're, if they're, if they're in practice or as, as a basis for a complaint against their employer. Because employers don't like doctors or, and, and their employees moonlighting in controversial issues. There's sometimes there's provisions in their contract that say, hey, you shouldn't be moonlighting. Well, we need to know what you're going to say. Because if, if they're going to go out there, an employee, is going to go out there and say a lot of bad things about pain management and they're going to get a real bad reputation among the chronic pain community, that's not going to be very good. You know, these people that work for like hospital corporations and so on. So that's what they can do. And this is a great time to do it because everybody is distracted. Uh, well, reason, you know, rightfully so, but they're distracted now uh, from the uh, COVID uh, coronavirus problem and crisis. So this is the time to put complaints and start to get that paper trail going because you know that prop and their allies are going to want to pick off where they uh, left behind, but we can't let them do that. So if we have a bunch of uh, complaints at the board or at their employers uh, of these people that are experts or, you know, supposed experts, anti-opioid crusaders, that's going to make a big difference. You know, what I, and here's the other thing. Well, that won't, I've heard people say this. This, this. I love this. They say, well, that won't work. We've tried that. No, we haven't tried this because we haven't had uh, this core of educated activists before. We've never had this that really understand the issue. So we can try it. And, and, and even if it, they don't, let's say, respond and take any action against these experts, they're, they're going to eventually, because they, they can't have, you know, 30 complaints in there and ignore them okay, at the board level or at an employer, okay? So what I think we should do is, is we, we, you know, I like to call this, um, you know, this is an Occupy movement. So we should say Occupy the medical boards. 
let's get the medical boards occupied with our complaints, okay, and our concerns, instead of the medical boards occupied with these uh, anti-opioid crusaders. So if we get complaints in there, they will be occupied. So people in Wisconsin, you want them to, you know, Dr. Klein mentioned this to me, just so you know, um, with the medical boards. You know, for the people listening, people believe the medical boards are there to protect the people, but they're not. They're targeting doctors. Um, and, and you and I have discussed this. So let, let's just, we need to break this down piece by piece. What can people in Wisconsin do when, with the medical boards? Um, let's start there. How can they get involved? Okay, well, you know, one of the things is making the complaints against these other doctors. They can, they, they can certainly meet with the medical board. They need to look and see, like, who, who's on the medical board and who's going to possibly be amenable to, to listening to them and con- taking up their concerns and who isn't. And, right. and, and I, not I poli- the medical board. Right, right. We, you and I, we discussed, um, you know, for instance, Stacey Hale, the witnesses uh, that the DOJ, that, that they're using and these judges, you know, when we've discussed, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm so super late to getting on the Joel Smithers and it's definitely on my list. I'm lagging in time, but, you know, we wanted to focus on the judge that gave Joel Smithers 40 years and we want to focus on the prosecutor because these judges, they want to advance their careers, Right. So we need to. Yeah, they um, do. I mean, there are some ways, techniques that you can use in the district. Um, uh, and, and it's obviously more effective if you've got a pending case. Right. And then a mm-hmm. case that's already been determined uh, and, and, and been uh, adjudicated. But um, what, what you would want to do is, is say, well, did these prosecutors overreach? OK. If they did, if the judges, well, why shouldn't you make a complaint? their state law board okay you can do that mm-hmm. and then you said well what's the basis of your complaint well they ignored this type of evidence and uh you know they you know this kind of thing now will that make a difference i don't know in reversing his case i think what you really have to do in that case is drill down and look at the details and see if the um, expert witness was uh, was accurate whether they made false statements or you know incorrect statements and um and see, but you know, the the prosecutor and the judge, they, they know that they, they can they can do these kinds of things because of the way that they've interpreted the Controlled Substance Act and and the way that they can do sentencing based on weights and, and, and these kinds of things and or wrongful deaths and that. So it, it's harder after the thing has already occurred. But nonetheless, if you do do make complaints against these uh, these these lawyers, they're, they're both lawyers, the prosecutors and judges, um, mm-hmm. they'll, they won't like it, but right, you have a right to do that. The First Amendment says that you have a right to petition your government, okay? These are government employees, and you certainly have a right to criticize their conduct. And as long as you do it ethically and you, you have a good basis for it, they, they're going to have to take that seriously. And, uh, and if you get enough of the complaints in there, it, it will matter. Um, because this is this is beyond being just a, a legal fight. This is this is a political fight, as you well know. So it's going to take multiple complaints, and uh, and and then perhaps as as as, uh, as I think uh, Mr. Chapman noted, when when they get tired of having to fight against the public, they'll probably go on to something else. And that's mm-hmm. kind of the idea here, uh, to a large part, is is 
remember when they when they take cases that let's say for murder or they take uh, cases that are uh, you know real cartels and stuff like that. There, there really isn't any constituency for those uh, uh, for the defendants there at all. But here now uh, there is a constituency. The pain patients are the constituency to help the 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 defendant who is the pain doctor. And that's not something that they usually have to that they can they usually contend with, and so this would be something that they're gonna they're gonna kind of look up and say, well, this is this isn't right. Why are you criticizing me? I should be acting independently of any type of uh, scrutiny or oversight. Well, no, they they need scrutiny and oversight. Very desperately need scrutiny oh, and oversight. God. Do they and, ever? Uh, a lot of, you know, if you say something like, I think your interpretation of what a legitimate practice is is totally wrong and false, and you, and you put that in, the prosecutor in Virginia, that was wrong. Judge, this was wrong. I think you got this totally wrong. They, they'll laugh at you, but you get enough of those complaints, and they're gonna, it, they'll start to irritate them. And you'll say, we think we, you need uh, more oversight, maybe congressional oversight. Or, or something like this, it'll bother them. It'll get under their skin, and, and hopefully they might start to look at other, uh, other cases that, that aren't as, as, as controversial in, in, in the public, in the public sure. sphere. So they, they're like any other person. They don't want to be criticized and looked at as, uh, they don't want to be seen as Gestapo agents. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe, they, right. maybe some of them don't care, but I don't think most of them really like that. Because if they want to advance their career, let's say, uh, the prosecutor, you can make a complaint to the U.S. Uh, senators and so forth, and if they get a bunch of complaints, it's going to be harder for them to advance their career to a, you know, an appeals court or, or, or a, 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 another judgeship or so on. And, and you I would know, imagine you know, now is the time to do a lot of this. That. Right, but he, he, he wouldn't, it's not his in his wheelhouse to talk about these kinds of things because he's, he's within that system. But, but this, mm-hmm. you have to understand that we are, without, we are outside the system, too, and we are also in the political realm. And that it's not the job of a you know, defense attorney to discuss uh, political action, really. And, uh, you know, they try to maintain collegiality with their uh, uh, colleagues. and even You know what I think side, is a problem, Tim, Dave, and Doctor? I think for the pain community, we lack leadership. And because this community is so vulnerable financially, I think we need a solid lobbyist. We need lobbyists, lawmakers, PR people. We need to bring this all together because it seems like we're at a piecemeal, you know, everything is piecemeal right now. You know, we've got the rallies, Mm -hmm. we've got the doctor-patient forum, we've Mm -hmm. got doctors, we've got doctors of courage, we've got everybody who wants to fight for the same thing, but we just can't seem to get out of our own way because of money, it's mm. always a money issue. And you, know, you get a good a good PR person, somebody that organizes a campaign uh, that focuses on the PR side of the positivity of opioids, and you get solid people. And that's how this can all be brought together. Because we do these shows and we interview these you know great doctors, great mm-hmm. lawyers, and but we're still we're stuck. And it's just that it seems to be where we lag. That's got to change. It also seems like a lot of the communities kind of go in their own way too. And they're not together like they should be. 
Yeah, I mean, you see the shit that happens on Twitter. I mean, I get up. Please, there's there's pages created just for the pure hatred of me. (laughs) And you know, it's we're misled. We don't have uh, that strong leadership. You know, the doctors had the AMA. I don't know what the AMA is doing to protect doctors, if anything. But we don't have. AMA has, has been, you know, basically uh, neutered on, on this issue. And even the American Academy of Physicians and Surgeons, um, they, they have uh, had some, they did, uh, I think, uh, educate some of the, the doctors on, the, on the, uh, the fact that fentanyl was becoming a, a big issue. But they haven't really taken a, a stand. I think that they're intimidated. And uh, mm-hmm. they, they don't really want to, this isn't, want, want, uh, this isn't what they really want to do. So um, we don't really have a... Uh, a, a a group that, that strongly lobbies for, for opioid pain management at all, and a national group for physicians. They are frustrated. And yeah. um, so a lot of it is, is, yes, it would be great if we can get some money, and uh, but we do have to understand this is probably going to be an asymmetrical war because uh, uh, yeah. we're, we're always going to be, uh, you know, we're going to be uh, outspent by, by people like uh, Shatterproof and things like that. Sure. And, um, yeah, a lot of money. And I yeah, got to tell you, I got to give a shout out to the Kratom community. The Kratom community just put in a former congressperson um, as their president. I think it's the president. And the Kratom community is doing it right. You know, on a Monday, the FDA says we're banning it unless you come up with $85,000 so we can pay off people. And that's what they do. And the Kratom supporters, they get the money to their lobbyists. They do it. They do it timely. They do it right. I've seen Mac Haddo. He is smooth like butter. That man can lobby. Um, and it's what the pain community is missing. It's this fractured community. We've got, yeah. I'll tell you what's changed. We have doctors and patients on the same page. And that's that's really big, I, right? I that's agree important. with you 100%. Um, I, I got a question oh, here from from well, uh, Ralph William uh, podcast. If you guys, there's a good another podcast on Podbean. Ralph William, make sure you guys give him a listen. Give him a follow. He's in the chat. He's saying, how do we discuss or argue against the death, uh, you know, the deaths caused by opioids? And I don't know if you're in earlier or not, Ralph, but we talked about a lot of these uh, overdoses are a cocktail. They're a mix of drugs and they're the, the, the statistics are skewed towards opioids to have this war on opioids, this hysteria. Um, we really got to look at how this is being done and how this is being portrayed. Okay. Opioids uh, that are prescribed and I, if they're taken responsibly, they're taken right. They can be treated. People can be treated for years for pain and, and not have any, you know, not, not, not ha- be at risk for overdose. But sometimes when they get cut off, they have to get illicit street drugs, which is cut a lot of times, as we discussed with fentanyl, carfentanil, all these illicit uh, synthesized drugs. You got to remember, there's 50 to 60 new synthesized drugs on the illicit market introduced every year. So some of these things we can't even test for yet because they're staying a step ahead of us, all these cartels and countries and stuff like that, because cartels are not here. Be Cartels are only here because of the war on drugs. That's the only reason they're here. The war on drugs created cartels. 
the illegality and the expensive, the, the, the risk for selling these drugs is so high. I mean, they're billionaires. These people are billionaires. They're rubbing elbows with billionaires. You don't think they're politically connected. You don't think they have pull. You don't think they do things. You don't think they love what's going on right now. They are making money hand over fist. And you read about all these busts that are happening. We cover busts every week on the show. Millions and billions and trillions of dollars and thousands and tons of cocaine and methamphetamine are being produced all around the world to feed America. Believe it or not, we're like the number one addicted country in the world to feed America. And and that when you have that on the other side of it and then you have a place to go to get these and you overdose, then all of a sudden, because they can't catch these guys, they're too smart for them. They smuggled freaking ecstasy pills in a backpack on a pigeon's back. I'm not, I didn't make that up. (laughs) I didn't make that up. There's a, there's a veterinarian in in Colombia who is smuggling heroin inside of puppies. This is a true story. They, they can't stop the drugs coming in this country. They will never do it. So they have to go to the doctors. Now they have to, now they have to have an enemy that is right there. These agencies, they've been doing this forever. They're, you know, they're self-funded. The more busts they do, the more production they show, the more money they get in the pie. They get that big budget at every year. You know what I mean? Job security. So it's all tied in together. That's what I'm saying. And I'm, I'm hearing all the same things, but we do need one line, one line of defense against this whole war. And I know it's we're, we're here to join. We're here to line. And I'll give you one good example right now. I On 420, we had Andrew D'Angelo on our podcast and he was he's one of the founders of the first dispensary in california he's a pioneer in cannabis he was a great guest and him and his brother have an organization called the last prisoner project and they're trying to get all of the cannabis prisoners out of prison there's forty thousand nonviolent cannabis prisoners some of them like christopher uh, christian reichert who his mom was on this show was serving 24 years for having 20 oh, pounds of marijuana with God. no priors, no priors whatsoever. And, but what I'm hearing is there's doctors in the same, there's doctors going to prison. Uh, like the doctor mentioned, Dr. Henson in uh, Kansas. We Dr. should have Smithers. a project like this for doctors. We should have, yeah. this should be a project across the board. This, you know, these, these people going to prison for these crimes over, over, over these substances it's ridiculous. It, it, it's just really ridiculous. It's come to uh, it's come to a point where it's insanity. And now well, the fact I, that and you know what you know what I think we have going for us now, you guys, is the government, the people are smartening up. Nobody, people, when they hear the opioid crisis, they're like, yeah, people. Nobody's most people know you're not. People aren't overdosing on prescription pain medication because you know the they the government has launched this campaign against opioids well why are we still discussing wait a minute we got rid of the opioids they're not prescribing them so why are we having overdoses you said right. it was you said it was pain painkillers narcotics whatever you want to call them but why do we you know that's what I said in my center I said wait you said you told me that a big problem four years ago was it was all because of prescription pain medication. Well, I, I know how many scripts have been written in Rhode Island, but why do we have 
not as many, but more overdoses. Let's not play stupid. The, the attack, you know, the, the pain community for non for the healthy people. I'm going to take you through the life of a pain patient in under 10 seconds. You wake up, you're sick. You have to find your way to a pain management doctor like the one that's on our show. Hopefully, this doctor will be able to take on another patient, but he can't ex exceed his patient load because he doesn't want to trigger an investigation. So the pain patient holds their breath waiting. Oh my God, is this doctor going to accept me? What is this doctor going to tell me? And then you have to go through the machinations of getting to become a patient. And every pain, every visit, you, you go to your, you drive to your doctor's office, holding your breath, wondering, is this it? Am I going to get the ax today? Is today the day I lose my medication? And then your visit goes fine, but you have to take the urine drug screen. Mm. What if I fail my, what if, what if they find fentanyl? Because that happens all the time. We have people, oh my, I didn't use fentanyl. Why is there fentanyl in my system? Because these are not, these, a lot of doctors don't interpret urine drug screens all that well i don't think they're skilled you know primary care physicians you fail your your urine drug screen now you have to what now you get dropped or if you don't get dropped the drive to the pharmacy is just as angst filled as the drive to your pain management now you're going to be interrogated looked at like a dirty person at the pharmacy and you hope you make the sign of the cross if you're a devout roman catholic like i am Oh my God, is the pharmacist going to fill my script or is the insurance carrier going to deny it? This is the life of a pain patient every four mm -hmm. weeks. It's never ending. And then you have the doctors. So usually by doctor, by the time a doctor finds me, they're broken. Their, their wives have left them. I have the one doctor. He I think he just calls me just so he has a voice to talk with a non-doctor. I don't think doctors trust doctors. Um, but we can ask the doctor that question, but it's, I, a, a lady doctor called me and she said, Claudia, I have diarrhea all day, all night. And I have nightmares about the DEA coming my office. I don't know if I can do this another day. Um, the anxiety that's, and, and how it affects your marriage. So you have to come home to your wife and you have to, you have to be normal. But knowing the DEA has done this to you, this has got to stop. This is madness. Mm. And this is because there are sick people. I'm a disabled person. I should not. And I, I'll tell you what, I am never treated poorly because when I walk into an emergency room to advocate for somebody, they turn the other way. They run. I police mine that I know every medical board member. I police the medical board in Rhode Island. I know every move that they make. And if I see that a doctor in Rhode Island has been targeted, I will pay for a private investigator and I will dig up shit on every medical board member if necessary. I will not let a good doctor go down in the state of Rhode Island. We only have two pain management centers, but this is where we're lacking in the pain community. We're lacking leadership. We're lacking money. We need a union. We need to become one. We need to be strong. And I've, I've said this many times, our audience is not on social media. That's just a small part mm -hmm. of who we are. But the big mm -hmm. donors, the wealthy people, they just don't know about us. They haven't found us, but they will. They will. Mm -hmm. So people, you have to they hang yeah, in there. I agree. They, they will, and um, <clears throat> they, look, pain is very prevalent, 
And um, there's at least 10 million people that are on uh, fairly significant doses that really depend on these medications. I don't see why that can't happen to somebody that's wealthy or in a family that's wealthy. And, you know, I, I, I anticipate that, that eventually they're, they're going to be uh, some wealthy donors. And, um, uh, you know, th- th- it isn't like years ago, some of these, you know, celebrities, they'd have like, you know, Michael Jackson had his, his, his doctor and Prince or something. They, they can't really, there aren't doctors that are going to do any of that for them secretly mm-hmm. prescribing them. So uh, anyone else, if, if a senator or, or someone else uh, gets a, a serious disabling condition or their wife does or a family member, they're going to have to go to uh, a doctor that's willing to prescribe uh, an opioid. And, and, and they, can't, they can't go to some secret place and, and get it, uh, at least as far as I know. I mean, no, um, they can't. Maybe exactly. and, else, and, a- and the doctor's right. You have to. And what happened for me, I had to wait until a lawmaker was affected. Everybody, I have this expression, you're not affected until you're affected. And we that's a- going to be for when Jeff Sessions falls down a flight of stairs. <laughs> I'm not fantasizing Claudia, that. Yeah. Claudia, uh, I have to interrupt here for a second. We have a caller on, Doc Charlie, D.O. Oh, Charlie. We got Dr. Dr. Feldman with us. Let's take Dr. Feldman in for a quick call. I know you guys are, we're going, we're, we're 24 minutes past the hour. Thank you. That's all right. That's, uh, yeah, we're good. This is a good show. People need to hear this stuff and uh, very good, very good. So we have, who is this? That's on. Did Dr. Feldman call in? Is this Dr. Yeah, here oh, I am. Dr. Feldman. Oh, there you go. Hey, how's it going, Dr. Feldman? Hey, folks, how are you? Oh, we're doing good. Just enjoying anyway, our Sunday. Just- just an interesting aside. I, I just got a text message from a man that I, used to be my patient who is a, how shall we say, I would call him a magnet of industry. He's worth half a billion dollars. He has a bad back. I've treated him for 10 or 15 years. I've done epidural injections, facet injections, and he said he lives in Texas and, and he's a very influential guy, known all over the world. So he said he hurt his back, and nobody will give him a pain pill. And all they mm. offered him was ibuprofen. Now, here's a very educated man, and he's like, why is this happening? And so mm. my point is – now, this is just five minutes ago that I got this text message. My point is is that the, the dysfunctional agencies that are overregulating this – they are, you know, it's blanket discrimination. It is not, it's mostly poor and underserved and, and under uh, working uh, or disabled people, but it has now spilled over into the rich and famous. And I think you, you made a comment a second ago, which I heard, Claudia, till Jeff Sessions falls down a set of <laughs> flight of stairs, nothing's going to happen. Well, this is true, and maybe I can get this man. To, to become an advocate to the extent that now it affects a man that everybody would say is a model citizen, a, 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 a paradigm of virtue, a, a model for all of us. Came from nothing, built a big business, takes care of, you know, employs, I don't know, 2,000 people or more. And so, mm-hmm. you know, it's not just my wife and, 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 and the other people out there. It's, it's, it's everyone is being affected. So uh, I think we had a doctor on the line 
Uh, is that true? That's our guest. Yeah, yeah, we're interviewing and, right and, now. And is this is this an anonymous doctor? Th this is an anonymous doctor. Yeah. All right. So I have one question for the anonymous doctor, if that's okay. Of course. Sure. It seems to me, and 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 tell me if I'm crazy or or, or just just paranoid, that in the doctors that have been prosecuted, when I say prosecuted. I don't mean hassled a little bit. I mean really prosecuted. Men with guns and laser sights and things like that, and some of them going to prison. It seems to me that there's an overabundance of three, three ethnic groups, although it's not 100%. African-Americans, Indians, not American Indians, Indians, people from India, and Jews. Is this, is this my imagination? No, I, I, you have to agree with you there. And, um, okay. you know, I think, you know, obviously with, with respect to the Jews and stuff, they, they've traditionally um, been uh, disproportionately represented in, in the medical field, in the physicians and so on. But, you know, it, it, it does, it, you know, I've always thought of that, that uh, when, when, when this thing happened to me, that I felt like I was a, a Jew in 1933. Mm. Okay, well... Mm. My point is this, is that if we all agree that there is a racial uh, uh, proclivity to these prosecutions, then there's a good chance that a court might agree that they're racially motivated. But nobody's made this claim officially. Mm. Just a thought. Because guess what? That's Arguing that G, guess what? Arguing that G, girls and boys, you know, you're you're affecting people that you didn't you shouldn't be affecting, meaning people with chronic pain. It's not just addicts. It's more than that. It's more than that. That that's my point. I I'm just an observer. I don't have the solution. But uh, right now, I believe we have got to take a stronger stance than just gee, the CDC guidelines are being over or misinterpreted and, and overutilized. There's more to it than that. Oh, yeah. We're past the CDC guidelines. Yeah, that's where I'm going to leave it. But right. that being the case, I also <laughs> felt, you know, like I was wearing a yellow armband, so to speak. So, <laughs> and, and, and the African-American community has been, been eerily silent on this mm. issue and, and and it's not because they don't care i just think we have to get them on ours on our side and i know one lady in california nita's her name that deals with nita Thompson, foundation yeah. and she's a really cool lady and i just think we have to make a a renewed effort to, to bring more well, let, me, let me just uh, i want to add on a, an interesting anecdote there because um there's a, you know, again, this, this anti-opioid crusader, he, he actually, in one of his emails, he said that the, the pain uh, doctors, he compared the pain doctors to those that stood trial at Nuremberg. Mm -hmm. That's what he said. Mm -hmm. and I, I, I sent that into the, uh, the AJC, AJC, but <clears throat> I just thought, you know, what, what a ridiculous thing to say. And, and as a matter of fact, mm -hmm. this, this email actually uh, was received by the Wisconsin uh, Justice Department because it was a communication from him to them. 
and and he put that kind of junk in there. Um, so you you can see that there is a there is a you know an innate animus that that some of these people have. I think towards uh, people that uh, unlike them or something like that. So, well, yeah. listen. If that's the case, you know, we need to scream about it. But so far, we, we, we're, you know, we, we have lots of intelligent people who are very well read, but we haven't, we haven't yet uh, congealed, right? So we're mm-hmm. jello, but we're still in liquid form. Mm-hmm. And we have, we're getting I, there. I just think we got to get there somehow. We're or getting there. We're getting mm-hmm. there because mm-hmm. two years ago, I got a phone call from a crazy Jewish doctor, and it's Dr. Feldman. He phoned me two years ago, and he called me. And my mom was in the front seat of the car, and he was he was calling Andrew Kolodny all these crazy names. And my mother said, "Who is that a doctor talking like that? But Dr. Feldman found me. This is my business partner in the doctor-patient forum. So we're getting there. But and I, Dr. Feldman and I, we probably talk, I don't know, sometime 10 times a day when we're not advocating for people, but it's, uh, we're, 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 we're traveling at a glacial pace. Well, uh, I want to, I want to, I want to thank, uh, you guys, all of you for, uh, for doing your show. Uh, the more, the more we expose the problem, the better off we're going to be in the long run. And, uh, Hey, I, um, you know, I'm not practicing medicine anymore. But I'm still helping people, and thank goodness Great. for that. All right, we'll talk soon, Dr. Feldman. Thanks, thanks for Dr. Feldman. Okay. okay, guys, thanks for having me on. Well, Doctor yeah. from Wisconsin, uh, big heartfelt thank you. Uh, I think I'm pretty sure you found us through one of your patients who was a Don't Punish Pain rally member, and that's why the rallies were created. So thank you, thank you for, you know, continuing to treat your patients. I, I think we have um, a, a whole slew of questions here, guys. Do we have any specific questions for the doctors? I think a lot of these. I got a question for the doctor. Okay. When you went to medical school, did you ever think you'd be in the fight that you're in right now, trying to take care of your patients? No, ne- never, never. I never thought. Treated like a drug um, dealer, basically. No, I never thought I'd be characterized as, as a drug dealer. I, I did. I mean, if I were, I would have never gone into that. That's the problem. Is that think about the younger doctors? Okay, think they they don't want to touch this stuff now, and I, I yep. you really can't blame them. But and, and that has to change because um, uh, this this is still these are still good drugs, and they help millions of people. And we need to we need to to push back on that. And uh, I think that the things can change because they've. The government is definitely overreached, and um, we see that now. When don't they? Uh, even with uh, with everything going on with the COVID crisis, the people are seeing some of the problems that government is doing, and and um, especially you know with these death determinations, how um, arbitrary they can be. So I, I think people are, are much more astute. But um, yeah, it's, it's, I never thought I would would, would do something like that, have something like this happen to me. Well, I got a, glad. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, yeah, I'm I got so a, rude. I got a question in here from Ralph. Um, no, you're just assertive, and you know I can handle that. I can. <laughs> we can battle. We can battle back and forth. I'm so, like black licorice. You either love me or hate me. I know. Yeah, that's true. I love you though. So, uh, the, I'm just uh, Ralph in here is trying to make an argument. Uh, 
I see Ralph. That, I think yeah. Ralph's a little, he's a little confused on the issue. And I, and I get this. Ralph's the number one podcaster. On yeah, podcast. I know. He is. Um, so the thing is that prescription drugs should be given out out of pure necessity and uh, not for any money incentive. Now, now, Ralph, let me, let me tell you something about this in a way. We covered it a little earlier and the doctor said it best. The doctor-patient relationship is a sacred thing. And whatever that patient and that doctor agree is the best treatment for that person, then that's what should be followed and honored. Now, I know there's abuse, there was abuse, or there is abuse, and there's stuff. We can't control that. We cannot control abuse. We cannot control addiction of people. Those are uncontrollable things, okay? It's, it's going to happen. But the good people that are in need of their medication can't get it because they're trying to do, because they're trying to clamp down on something that's impossible to do. You cannot control people's habits and things like that. You just can't do it. It's between the doctor and the patient. And you're just going to have to trust that. You're just going to have to trust it. You know, I think that people are going to have to kind of grow up a little bit on this kind of thing. You know, we're having some really serious crises now, economical crisis, uh, virus crisis. We don't have the luxury in this country of having a fake crisis anymore. This is, this is a fake crisis. Opioid medications did not cause the overdose increase. It was fentanyl and, and heroin, okay? So we don't need to have a fake crisis just to, to – uh, had uh, the the wallets of, of people that could uh, benefit from this fake crisis. We're not. I don't think we're going to have that many more fake crises in this country. They're going to be real crises. But having this prescription opioid overdose uh, narrative is is, uh, is just it, it's we can't afford this kind of thing anymore. And and to 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 do, continually just obsess over over you know um, you know prescription opioids to the exclusion of, of, like, look, what's happening with methamphetamine? I think there's, what, 13,000 deaths now? Mm -hmm. um, that doesn't matter. But how many real deaths, how many deaths are really attributable to prescription opioids? Very few. Mm -hmm. So we can't do this kind of a, this kind of game anymore. Um, we have to deal with real crises, and the, the fake ones are just going to have to go by the wayside. I think people uh, are going to start realizing that. That's very well said, doctor. Very well said. Uh, Claudia, do you have anything? I think we're going to start wrapping it up here. Do you yeah, have any I just, final thoughts? No, I think I, I thank the good doctor for coming on tonight. Um, you know, we try to tackle all the issues. Just as a reminder, uh, we the doctor-patient form works with people who are in pain and also struggle with addiction. It's not uncommon. Um, and you know, I've just recently started to advocate for people with addiction. Um, so the doctor-patient forum, we try to help you find solutions for all of your medical needs. Uh, it's a real, it's a tug of war with um, this confusion. And uh, in, in that's been, the, the, the country has been polluted with false information regarding uh, the safe the safeness, the effectiveness of opioids. We have to stop the false narrative. And like the doctor just um, said, we don't have time for any more fake crises. Eight out of 10 Americans have burnt out on the phrase opioid crisis. They mm -hmm. don't care. Mm -hmm. um, 
because we're still fighting. What we're doing is not working. We're, we still have a, a, a hefty amount of overdosing, and it's going to get much, much worse over the next six months to the year um, from because of uh the coronavirus and we're going to see so much sadness so it's our job to advocate educate legislate the don't punish pain rally organization will rally again um it may not be until november if then we're not sure uh join the don't punish pain rally organization get informed uh be a well-informed patient some doctors like that some don't it all depends on the doctor uh you know, if you need an advocate, uh, we are expanding our team. Uh, we are looking to partner with orthopedics, neurosurgeons um, at the doctor-patient forum. We have to, we're, we're growing and we need to grow in order to help as many people. We need to, we need to uh, not only be on social media, we need to be out in the general public. We need to get help to the people who need help, the elderly people who are not on social media. We have to get these people help. So mm-hmm. we're doing it. Doctor, thank you so much for coming on tonight, taking an hour and a half out of your time we appreciate it uh so big big well, thank thanks. you very much for having me it was a pleasure yeah thank you we'll, doctor we'll talk again soon tim thank and you. dave my two favorite my two you know all this talk about jewish doctors where's my jewish husband come on <laughs> where's that jewish husband i'm looking for um when i hear you know dr Feldman and i we talk about this all the time he's like ah you don't want a doctor and you know he he comes out with the funniest the man is funny he's funny he's smart oh so many of my doctors just smart funny jewish doctors how can you not love them um but tim and dave we appreciate it uh you've given us a you know you've helped you helped us get this platform and and we're grateful the pain community is grateful pain community addictions community we're coming together we're 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 learning from one another so thanks we are exactly you're welcome and thank you for the opportunity and you know, I know there's a lot of confusion between the two, and sometimes uh, s- some people get offended if we put them in the same category and they're not in the same category, but the war and the fight is the same. Right now, we're in the same boat. We need to get out of it together. We're going to do something in the future. We're going to do some kind of reform network, and the plan is we're going to do a reform network, and we're going to get everybody we can on social media to email and tweet these politicians and we're just going to bomb them. I mean, I want to bomb them. I want to do what the doctor said, where he said, we have to learn our opposition. We have to study the enemy. And when we find the enemy, we're just going to blow them up. Literally, you know, figuratively figuratively on on, on, on Twitter and email. So we're going to really have to snatch you know, people's attention on this thing. So that's, that's a good coming. thing. They're going to come after you for that and leave the doctors alone. Now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'm, I'll be, I'll diverge, I'll divert myself I'll, I'll, for the cause, but thank you. The cause is real. The fight is real. Uh, everybody keep on fighting, make sure, you know, you, you follow these things and we are brought to you uh, in another way by our sponsor, happy life herbals. Uh, if you're looking for a CBD, a CBD alternative, something or a pain alternative or a mood alternative, make sure you check us out at happylifeherbals.com where we have uh, CBD. We're going to feature more products soon there. So uh, that's a good thing. If you put the DAP or DAP into the product code, yeah, you get yep. free shipping. And Claudia, I got your Happy Life Herbals. Actually, it's packaged right here. It's going in the mail. Yes. So you should be receiving that. And good for your pets too. 
And yes, and I also have one for you too, Ralph. I got one right here. Um, we got your packaging here. We're going to send it out. So thanks uh, again, And I everybody. think I have a promo code. I think I have a promo code paying for when people, once yeah. I start uh, promoting Happy Life Herbals. Yes, you have a, you have your own promo right, great code. Guys. So, yep, we're knocking it out of the park, everybody. Uh, enjoy the rest of your Sunday. If you're listening to this show on YouTube or Podbean or any other platform, please go down, subscribe. That does a lot for us. Make sure you throw a comment out there. If you have any questions about any of the information from this show, make sure you go to don'tpunishpainrally.com uh, or don't uh, doctorpatientforum.com. You can always check us out. You can get a hold of us on media, on social media anytime. So have a good one.